Hi, and welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. I use she and her pronouns, and thank you so much for joining us today. What follows today are some selections from our service on December 26th, 2021. In this video, you'll hear the reading as well as the reflection. And following that, we hope that you'll stick around for a lively discussion where we go deep into the service themes together. You're invited to check out this video and audio podcast each week. We post it on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, as well as your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what we see, we hope you'll give us a positive review, a like, a comment, a share, a subscribe. These all help to spread Fourth Universalist media further. Finally, we do acknowledge that our physical location of our community, even though we're online, is located in the lands of the Munsei Lenape peoples. With this acknowledgement, we seek to continue the process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work as well as we embrace the eighth UU principle. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our reading. reading this morning is a discussion of Paulo Freire's seminal work by sociologist Nick Lee. In his incredibly popular 1968 book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, Brazilian educator and author Paulo Freire discusses the concept of false generosity. He writes, the oppressors who oppress, exploit, and rape by virtue of their power cannot find in this power the strength to liberate either the oppressed or themselves. Only power that springs from the weakness of the oppressed will be sufficiently strong to free both. Any attempt to soften the power of the oppressor in deference to the weakness of the oppressed almost always manifests itself in the form of false generosity. Indeed, the attempt never goes beyond this. False generosity is charity which targets the symptoms of an unjust society. Examples include donating to shelters for the homeless or creating a foundation to, to eradicate malaria. False generosity isn't false because it doesn't help people. It can and often does save lives. Rather, it's false because by addressing symptoms rather than underlying causes, it functions to maintain oppression. In contrast, Freire says, true generosity consists precisely in fighting to destroy the causes which nourish false charity. Further, where false charity constrains the fearful and subdued, the rejects of life to extend their trembling hands. True generosity lies in striving so that these hands, 
whether of individuals or entire peoples, need to be extended less and less in supplication so that more and more they become human hands which work and working transform the world. False generosity maintains oppression. It maintains the reliance of the oppressed on the oppressor. It is dehumanizing. True generosity attempts to create the conditions for liberation. The oppressor feels good about their false generosity, so they are motivated to sustain the system in which their false generosity is necessary. And their generosity itself functions to do this. I'm so grateful to be here with all of you today, even though we are all once again sequestered. I think I left. <laughs> if you celebrated Christmas yesterday, I hope you had a lovely day. If you, like me, put more emphasis on Christmas Eve, the night where we Italians eat seven different fish dishes, <laughs> I hope you had a lovely Christmas Eve. However you celebrate this season of Yule, I hope you were able to do so in a way that made you feel connected and loved. And now today, we gather on December 26th, the day after Christmas. And here in the United States, we don't really mark this day in any particular way. Most likely it is a day of relaxing and playing with the toys you received or reading the book you got. We probably don't even mark it if it wouldn't even be marking it if it hadn't fallen on a Sunday this year. According to world, world cultures, though, the 26th is actually St. Stephen's Day, or La Festa di Santo Stefano in Italy, and is celebrated in many parts of Europe honoring the first Christian martyr. But rather than talk about martyrdom, I want to talk about Boxing Day. The 26th is a federal or bank holiday known as Boxing Day in the United Kingdom and many former current British colonies. And I love that Sean, our Canadian rep there, already brought it up. So thanks, Sean, for that. I learned about Boxing Day many years ago from my British sister-in-law and recall more than one lunch gathering with her and family to celebrate Boxing Day. Now, when I first heard of Boxing Day, I thought it had to do with pugilism. As a person raised by a former boxer and thus trained to be an active boxing fan, I thought it was a day we put on gloves and go out and fight in the streets. Or maybe we gather around and watch our favorite historical matches on TV, like some replays of Sugar Ray Leonard or George Foreman or Ali, perhaps. I was way off base. The exact origin of Boxing Day is unknown, but the box of boxing in question is more aptly connected to a physical box meant to collect alms or charitable donations for the poor. Or even, as some stories say, some historical coverage shows, to rebox gifts. It was customary for employees to receive boxes of gifts, food, probably leftovers, some small gifts, and even some money on Boxing Day. So giving gifts is in our 
DNA, believe it or not. As anthropologist Marcel Mauss wrote a hundred years ago in his essay, The Gift, cultures around the world give and receive gifts or take part in some kind of collective exchange practice. Through his research, he found that the key, though, for many earlier civilizations was reciprocity, to give and to receive. And many of us have just taken part in these exchanges, giving and receiving, and hopefully feeling warmth and love in the process. So the idea of Boxing Day, giving gifts to those who have less, is in principle a lovely idea. And the Christmas season is when we see a lot of this. Food pantries, social service, nonprofits, and the like make sure that people are fed, that children have gifts to open, and that everyone has a warm coat. Boxing Day as a concept sort of invokes for me the moment in A Christmas Carol when the miserly Ebenezer Scrooge has a dramatic change of heart. Guess that's what happens when ghosts visit you and show you the error of your ways. And then he gives Bob Cratchit and hopefully all his employees days off, fancy food and a raise. Although I imagine that many of you like me had wished Scrooge could have figured that out without having to have paranormal visitors to inspire him. But over the years, I have been troubled by the idea of Boxing Day. Yes, gifts and bonuses are a wonderful thing, but many of the folks who were recipients of these items on December 26th had to work on the 24th and 25th, and often for extraordinarily wealthy and entitled people who didn't see that their staff was not able to be with their own families on the holiday. Just watch one episode of Downton Abbey or Upstairs Downstairs and you get the idea. Boxing Day could then be interpreted as Christmas for the poor or those that had to work for the wealthy on the real Christmas. Perhaps that sounds a little cynical or even Marxist, and I suppose it is both. Christmas time inspires generosity and giving. Donations at food pantries ex increase exponentially, as does their output. And with only six days left in the year, Christmas time is also a reminder that we have to make those end of the year donations to charities we love. As people of faith, I imagine many of us are called to do these good deeds and to help others. And that is a good thing. However, I want us to think more deeply about giving, especially today on this Boxing Day, as we recognize that we are living in a world so mired in suffering, loss, and injustice. I am a member of the Kingston Interfaith Council in Kingston, New York. We are a group of about 25 clergy and lay leaders, although only a small, small core of us, about 10 or 12, meet monthly. For two years now, we have been talking about the issue of the unhoused in Kingston and in Ulster County. Both up where I live and down here in New York City, the unhoused or homeless population has been on the rise. 
A number of the clergy on KIC serve congregations that run food pantries, provide clothing and toiletry to those in needs, and a few different organizations have helped run the Kingston Warming Center, an overnight shelter that opens whenever the outside temperature drops around the realm of freezing. My own former congregation in partnership with other local congregations would occasionally make meals and donate them to the center to be sure that not only were people indoors and warm, but they were also able to eat fresh home cooked food. The lion's share of the work of the warming center though is done by a few Christian churches and Catholic charities as each of these groups sees it as a core calling of their faith to care for the least of our siblings. Last year though, the KIC started to discuss how these charitable acts of feeding, clothing, and sheltering those in need was not enough. That as long as religious organizations stepped up to do these things, the city, county, and state would have no reason to do something more substantive. As long as churches, synagogues, and temples were providing gifts, there was no impetus to address the root causes of all this need. So just last Wednesday, eight of us clergy got an emergency meeting with our state senator and asked her to help us move our faith-based work from charity to systemic change. As we sat around the conference room, we all spoke about our personal comforts, that after we do a day of work tending to others, we go home to a warm house. We invoked our religious values that tell us that it is immoral to allow people to be on the streets and not have secure, safe shelter. We talked about worth and dignity and human rights and asked our Senator to help us stop being the band-aids and instead to work with us to right the wrongs of a system that looks the other way when we see people, single people, families, children, without shelter, food, and clothing. My Episcopalian priest colleague reminded the Senator and all of us that all those children in need are our children. And even as I write this, I'm reminded of what Reverend Schuyler said during our Christmas Eve service, that we must see the Christ child in every child and remember that all humanity is sacred. And yet, and yet we live in a country where people are food, housing, and job insecure, and where three of the wealthiest people on the planet also reside and who give nothing to address these systemic ills. One could also say that they profit off of these systemic ills. Now I was raised by deeply charitable parents their Catholic faith and their own upbringings in poverty inspired them to do all manner of good works in the community. A particular favorite 
as Italian people, was cooking large meals for the homeless shelter in my hometown. They modeled these good works for me and my brothers, and I learned at an early age to care for others. As I grew older, though, I noticed lots of charity being done, and I questioned over and over again, why do we need charity when we can just make the world a better place, a more just and equitable place? Then in 1992, I read Paolo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed, my all-time favorite nonfiction book. When I read it 30 years ago, it changed my life because when I read Freire, after returning from a volunteer post in Guatemala, everything began to make sense. The world is deeply mired in systemic oppression and those in power, those with money, like to keep the system running that way. Thus, those of us who feel and care for others do service work and start or run charities to make things better for those in need. But those efforts are usually just a stopgap because the whole system is rotten. And not to put too fine a point on it, but many charities, as we saw in our reading, are started by people who are doing just fine. But since they don't want the world to really change, they instead create charities or organizations that do the good things, which Freire called false generosity. To appear generous matters to folks who plaster their names on buildings. But if we were to upset the balance of wealth and power, they probably would not be too happy about that. So our meeting with our Senator last week was the Kingston Interfaith Council's way of saying that charity is needed. Absolutely, yes, especially now when so many people are out of work, have lost family members, are about to be evicted, are saddled with debt. But the bigger prize we need to be working towards is lasting systemic change. I like to think that our goal as religious people should be to have food pantries and neighborhood fridges and warming centers become obsolete because citywide, countrywide, nationwide, planetwide, everyone will have their needs and human rights met a roof over their head, food in their bellies and in their cupboards, safety and security, meaningful livelihoods, an end of fear and worry. In his writings, Freire says, true generosity consists precisely in fighting to destroy the causes which nourish false charity. We, as people of courage and conscience are being called to destroy and transform those root causes, these systems that oppress and marginalize. Many of us have been doing this work for years. Others are finding their callings now, 
And I have to say, I have never been more hopeful. I spend my days working with young adults who are just not having it. These 18 to 22 year olds see so clearly the injustice and corruption, and they are fired up for change. As Ember shared earlier during our Time for All Ages, young people, teens and children and emerging adults are working to address all manner of systemic ills from climate change to racism, to poverty, to heterosexism, to the terror of American capitalism. They are not interested in false generosity. They are committed to systemic change. And we, you use, if we are living deeply into our principles, especially our first, which reminds us of the inherent worth and dignity of all beings, and seventh, calling us into relationship with the interconnected web of all life, are called to not just be people who support charities and care for those in our community, but to also be leaders for systemic change. As Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who left this earthly plane this morning, said, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. May it be so. It's so great to get to sit down today with Reverend Leonisa, who is one of our acting ministers while Reverend Schuyler is away on family leave. And Reverend Leonisa, thank you so much for just an amazing message. I thought it was really challenging and a really nice uh, message to hear on the day after Christmas. Maybe not always the time that we get uh, messages that really challenge us. Um, so it's so great to sit down with you. Would you like to introduce yourself for any of our watchers and listeners who may have not met you before? Sure. Um, Reverend, well, technically Reverend Dr. Leonisa Artizone, ooh, uh, going by Reverend Leonisa, of course, or Dr. A, depending on which group of people I'm working with, young people or adults. And uh, I am Zooming in today, for, or, or did Zoom in today for services from Rosendale, New York, which is about 75 to 90 miles, I can never remember, north of New York City. I'm, I may be over in the magical land of New Jersey, but uh, I'm technically closer than the city, I think. Yes, I think <laughs> you are, indeed. <laughs> so further culturally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so anyways, this message, like I said, was really challenging for a post-Christmas sermon, but I loved it. Um, so I'm kind of curious, where did the inspiration for this come from? Well, you know, I had that thought too. I was like, oh, it's a day after Christmas. You really want to like rally or like, or should you just do something warm and fuzzy? But I, I am not, I can't help myself. Um, the idea came when I was thinking about the fact that it is Boxing Day. And I was thinking about the work I've done for years and the work of religious people as being voices for change. And, and of course, the idea of charity was on my mind, right? So much, you know, as I talked about today, how all these services that are happening in the country, especially now, like feeding people and clothing people and making sure they have warm places. And you realize that there's an uptick in all of that around the holidays because generosity is the thing and, and, and it's cold and we want to do those things. And then I go, but then what happens like in two months or what happens before next year? Why is it that every year we do these things? Right. And I just, 
not to belittle those things at all, right? They're necessary, they're important. Um, I personally give a fair amount of money to organizations that do those things because I know how necessary they are. But I keep coming back to the question of why do we need to do those things in a country that has you know, a bazillionaire, I'm making up that number because I can't even put enough zeros on, you know, how much money that certain titans, quote, in this country make. And yet we have people who can't feed their families and have no place to sleep and people who are fighting, you know, for a $15 minimum wage, which is not even enough to support your family and anywhere in the United States. So for me, it's like, I, I know that charity is important, but we have to work for changing a system that makes charity inevitable, right? Like we have to flip that script, right? And saying that, yeah. And I guess that's what it was on my mind. It's, it's been on my, it's always on my mind, honestly, but it really hit home um, just this week. Like, that's what I really want to, I want to talk about that. I, 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 yeah, I hope I didn't make people uncomfortable by being quite so serious, but as, as someone who worked uh, retail for almost a, a decade um, and did lots of holidays, um, when I was looking through the, the message uh, beforehand and, uh, you know, you mentioned about how Boxing Day was where the rich could then give money to their, their servants, uh, to those, uh, you didn't get to celebrate yesterday, sorry. Uh, um, and I was like, oh gosh, yeah, that all the holidays of working and, oh man, I mean, it is. Yeah, you think about like the madness of how many people have to work, whether it's restaurants or retail or, you know, to 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 just put food on the table on a holiday that, you know, we know not everybody celebrates it, but the world, or at least in the US, it sort of shuts down because everyone wants to nest and be with family. And yet we're perfectly okay with asking people to work till four o'clock on Christmas Eve, right? And we're perfectly okay of asking other people to work on Christmas day, right? You know, and, um, and who was it? I think it's Target who during the pandemic stopped opening on Thanksgiving because they used to be open on Thanksgiving. And, you know, and I was like, okay, so they made a conscious decision to say, we're not going to make people come to work on a holiday that's actually a secular holiday that's a national holiday and people were going in so that people could shop for christmas like you know so i was like if target could make <laughs> the decision to say we want our employees to be able to be with their family on this holiday why doesn't that extend beyond you know into the mindset of how do we be more i mean I don't, I don't think gift giving means like the generosity of Christmas and gift giving doesn't mean like being at the store the day before Christmas and buying stuff, right? Like I'd much rather get a, get nothing than know that I had to force someone to <laughs> work or, you know, or knit me a bumpy pair of socks and I'd be just as happy, right? A uh, special, special shout out to all the times that I've had to, you know, run to Walgreens on like Christmas day because of a missing ingredient in a meal. And they, they were staffed. So shout out to those, the real essential workers. <laughs> well, yeah, it does make it, you know, it's like that sense of it's, it's, yeah, you're right. Like it's gratitude to the folks who are doing it and then, and being extra kind too. Like I, that's the thing that also gets my goat. You walk into these places and folks are just impatient and mean, and you're just like, they're, they're working, they're making sure you, you know, you forgot your I don't know, can of condensed milk for your dessert. Like you can be nice about it, right? Like, yeah. 
you know. As long as it's not the raspberry sauce, but well, that's a discussion for another day. That's, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so you talked a lot about pedagogy of the oppressed in the text. And so I think that was probably obviously a, a book that inspired you as you read this. Was there anything else you really drew from? Or do you want to maybe talk a little bit more about that book? Um, I, yeah, well, I, I was reminded of the book, The Gift, which I couldn't find on my shelf, so I found it online. So that came in because I was like, what is this thing about this culture of gift giving? But more, but that was like came later because I really, um, I really was thinking about Freire and the pedagogy of the oppressed piece and especially the section about the false generosity. And it came up, I was in a conversation for a, I'm planning something with the UU office of the United Nations. I'm part of the spring seminar planning. And we were talking about that idea again about people who, well, I guess I can name names or maybe not. So let's say some very wealthy person in this country decided to throw money at climate change, right? But has it's been quite publicly clear that he's not paid taxes, has not, does not pay his workers a fair share, you know, all these things. But of course, you know, oh, but look, I gave all, you know, a, a bunch of zeros to an effort, and then that makes me a good person, right? And so when I thought about that, I thought directly of the, the notion of false generosity that Freire talks about, where, you know, the systems of oppression are so, um, ingrained, then it sets it up for people to give gifts, financial or other, um, and then and they look good, but the system never changes, right? And so that was on my mind that like there's nothing, and I think there's a difference between people like you and me and the members of our congregation who give money to local shelters and give money to organizations, right? Because we're not, as far as I know, I don't think we have any billionaires sitting in the, you know, in our seats most Sundays. And if we do, we might have to ask them. Let us know. We never know, right? But, but you know, we're like everyday people who are trying to do uh, support in our community. But, and so that's a, you know, it's like the baby steps towards making things change. But when that idea of I can just throw a bunch of money at something and then, you know, I don't know, whatever's going through their mind, oh, now I'll get into heaven or now it's PR or whatever, like it's completely um, false. It's phony. And all it does is uh, makes it even more challenging to, you know, subvert this system that says we need charity because people need to need clothes and food. And you're like, yeah, there are ways of addressing that. That doesn't mean everybody else you know what i'm saying right like it's so it's and it, and so that so that book on many levels because so much of it is about liberation and and the recognition that even the folks who are the oppressors they themselves are trapped in oppression right this system does not let them be fully human because they are trapped by you know this conditioning of, of who they are to, uh, to have to oppress others in order to make money right or yeah you beat me to the punch there. That's literally like one of my favorite sections of that whole book is this idea that um, that the oppressors are having part of their humanity robbed of them by being in in that situation. Um, they they aren't having a full experience of humanity either. Um, yeah. They don't realize it, but they aren't. And I mean, you know, I think that that's um, you know often the case with a lot of uh, rich folks is that sure some of them might be doing it for tax dodging, but a lot of them, you know, think that they're genuinely making a difference. Yeah. Um, and it's just what they've always been told, like this is what you do, like oh you have money and then you give it. Um, right. Right. Uh, and I mean, but <laughs> uh, you have me thinking about how um, so in West Michigan, 
nearly everything has the DeVos name on it. So Betsy DeVos's family yeah. or the Van Andels, they were business partners. They started Amway, which is, you know, basically a giant pyramid scheme. Pyramid scheme. Um, yeah. But because of that money, like all these things are funded in town, but of course they have to have everything has their name on it. Right. Um, it's, you know, a different ball game moving to New York where, you know, got like the Vanderbilt money, the Carnegie money, all of this. Um, but, you know, like that's such an ingrained thing in our culture. It's like the, the rich people, you know, they, you're talking about, um, uh, what was that? I don't know. Why, I forget which billionaire it even was that you were talking about there. I'm just, like trying to match them up in my head. Yeah, like um, the man. But like, you know, a lot of times they donate all this money to an organization that they're on the board of or that they started. Um, like, oh, yes, I'm donating a billion dollars to a charitable fund that I started, exactly. that I manage, that I decide where the money goes. Yeah, <laughs> it's shady and it's and it's and it's so but it's so pervasive. And it's true. Like even in New York, though, you know, you can walk through lots of buildings. I mean, hospitals with people's names on them, museum wings with people's names on them, this, that, and, you know, and it's, it's, um, and I years ago ran a nonprofit in um, the city and it's a, it was a, it's a, I, without, I won't say anything to, 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 you know, I'll, I'll protect the, uh, anyway, but the, you know, taking money from people who you knew were actively doing harmful things, but you took the money so that you could do a good thing, you know, in their name like there were sometimes like i would take the check and like give it to the development director and i'd be like just just deposit it so we don't have to think of where it came from but let's go do something with it you know but it is it's there it's i find it in, in many ways i had a really hard time by the end of that job because i just it just felt icky you know people who were like were known for bulldozing housing building like SROs in the middle of the night, then turned around and would give a check to a nonprofit to make things better. And you're like, uh, you actually were part of creating this problem, you know, and it, it but, the, but there's that. So they don't see their, they don't see their role in it. They don't see that it dehumanizes them to treat other people in a dehumanized way. And that's the nature of that level of oppression. Right. And yeah, I mean, you know, oftentimes it's like, I wonder why homelessness is on the rise and they don't step back to think about what's going on in, in the wider world. Well, and as you were talking about that, I couldn't help but think about uh, working in retail and, you know, working at one of the places that did one of those, like, do you want to raise money for such and such charity by donating a dollar today? And I've not realized until recently that, you know, that money is basically a giant tax write-off for these companies. Like, it's just, uh, it, it, I, you know, it's like, well, no, how about I don't donate a dollar, but you raise the wages of all your employees and give them health care for free instead of like letting them buy into a health care plan. So I'm going to not do my dollar for you to look good by giving money to XY charity, but instead I'm going to ask you to um, respect the rights of these people that work for you. Hey, what about that idea, right? How did you, there's no way people could amass that much money to give that much to charity without oppressing and exploiting other people, right? Like it just doesn't work. Yeah, you know, like that that whole, uh, there's a meme going around that, you know, explains like you could have earned such and such like $2,000 every day since Jesus was born and you would still not be as rich as Jeff Bezos is right now. Um, exactly. I will name names. <laughs> I, yeah, good, because he's on my, the top of the list of like, you know, the problems in the world. Yeah. You know, so um, one of the people that I think about this uh, as we talk about this is Rosa Luxemburg, who was a uh, German revolutionary pre-World War One, pre-World War II, definitely pre-World War II. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember if it was, it might've been after World War I. So, you know, in all the unrest following uh, that time. And, um, you know, they were basically, she wrote a book that was called Reform or Revolution. Um, I tried to find a kid's version for the time for all ages. It does not exist. So that's an opportunity for me for some uh, future project. I was going to say, right? Note to self, write that book. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think that it's, uh, you know, it's a hard thing to find. Like we want to make these small changes. We want to do what we can because we see this immediate suffering. Yeah. Um, but we do also got to think about how we can make these bigger changes to this system. And it's so hard. It is so hard. And I, and I, it's, it's so it's, but I think if we conceive of it as a both and, I think a lot of folks just live in the, but I give and I, and that's it, right? I write a check or I do a thing. Um, and I think the shift is happening you know, and, and I think it's been around, but I think more and more people are getting it that like, okay, I can do these things to make sure people are not uh, suffering abjectly while I can do something about it. But no, I meant to say, and <laughs> we have to seriously reform entirely. Like American capitalism is actively kills people, right? Like it actively does. And we have evidence of that, even just a tornado where people were not allowed to leave work because I don't know, we had to pack boxes in time for Christmas and those people are no longer living in the earthly realm, right? So how do we, um, so yeah, I'm all for it. I think through education, I think people of faith, um, like I mentioned in my sermon, you know, a bunch of us religious leaders had a meeting with a state senator who has since set up a meeting. This came just this just in. We have a follow up meeting now with our county executive, you know, so sometimes it's like, you know, I know a lot of folks don't have much faith in, in the political system and I myself am one of them, but I'm just like, we, we have to, we have to hold people's feet to the fire. We have to figure out how to disrupt these systems that are dehumanizing and damaging and oppressive and alienating and all, all, all the things. Um, so we can do good locally. We can do the things that we know need to be taken care of immediately. But all the while, we've got to be collaborating and educating one another and having these conversations. Like people don't want to talk about how horrible Amazon is, but it's that horrible that we should be talking about it every day. You know, you have a conversation with a local bookseller and if that doesn't convince you to stop shopping at Amazon, then I guess I don't know what to do, right? But like, you know, those conversations and conversations about tax code and conversations about um, lobbying and where money gets spent, I mean, it fits into everything, right? So it's um, it's about pressure. It's, it is about a revolution and, and, or a revolutionary form of reform. How's that? How's that? There we go, I think that works. Well, Reverend Lenisa, I so appreciate this chance to get, sit down, get to sit down with you and for our first one of these uh, together. And I'm, I'm so looking forward to many more over the coming months. I'm excited to see some of the future themes and ideas you pick out. Uh, thanks, Amber. Me too. I'm, I'm excited. I think uh, this is fun. I'm looking forward to more chats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and thank you, of course, to all of our listeners.